brings us victory, it brings us joy, it brings us peace, and it brings us contentment and satisfaction. Father, we become one with you when we are filled with your word. So we thank you, Lord, for filling us with your holy word and allowing us to be overjoyed and overfilled with your goodness. In Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. And praise God. Amen. So what did we say we were going to teach this afternoon? Um, Huh? Watchman Revelations, right? So these are, uh, this is information that you need and equipment for your job as watchman. Um, This is a spiritual call, so you don't have to write a paper about it. You don't have to send out an email and tell people you're called and (laughs) set up a website with nothing on it. You know, the space is reserved for, and it never gets filled up. All you have to do is stay faithful to the call and stay true to what God has called you to do as watchmen. So I think it's uh, important and imperative that we understand the foundation for this ministry. We understand what we're doing in this ministry, and we understand the call. People who really understand the call accept it and embrace it and don't let self get tangled up in it. You know? When you're called of God... The first thing that God will start to do is separate self out from the call. This cannot be something that your flesh can glory in and delight in. In fact, your flesh has to die to what you're doing for God. So it's necessary that you understand that you're not, this is not just a church that you come to on Sundays. And it's not something that you do on Saturdays because you feel made to do it. You don't sit up and visualize what else you would do on Saturday if you didn't have to do this. You just understand that there is a call that God has placed upon your heart to work for him. And this is fulfilling that work commitment that you've committed to do for God. And so I believe that if we will embrace this as our first career, can I say that? I think if you do that, you'll be less apt to find conflict with anything else in your life with the call of God. You you don't pray because you're trying to do God a favor. Your prayers are not a favor to God. They're not extraordinary in God's kingdom. When you have a commitment to pray, you're not doing anything extraordinary. You're merely doing, you're fulfilling. When God put you in this earth, he put you there with instructions for living inside of you. And when you fulfill the call of God on your life, then you are merely walking out the instructions that he has inside of you for living. When you are called of God to do something, you will find fulfillment in what you're doing for God. 
And don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that there's something else that you need to be doing with your time. Or that you have outgrown this church stuff. Or that it's only the losers that do this and you have a life. Huh? I mean, those are the accusations of the enemy against the church all the time. I mean, he's been saying this about us forever. And so it, it would be very good if you would make note of the ways that he tries to discourage people and to let you know that this is your life. What right now you are fulfilling at this point of your maturity in God, you are living up to the maximum of your potential for the level of your maturity in God. And so am I. There isn't more that you could be doing for God, but somebody's holding you back. I mean, give God some credit. Huh? What's he going to do, stand by where, while people run over you? Get real. So probably if you think that way, there's a little bit more you need to know about God. Like he told Moses, whoever told you I was weak. Like he couldn't do certain things. Huh? He's restrained by the counsel of his will. He's restrained by his own word. But he's just as strong as he ever was. And if there is a place that you need to be other than under the word of God, he will certainly get you there. Child of God. Huh? See, people get all kind of funny ideas. After they get into the the things of God, somehow they get old real fast. And so you feel that it's time for you to advance far beyond (laughs) the normal everyday peons. So most people who think like that go out and do something stupid like sleep with somebody, get pregnant, have three and four kids. And then they wish they hadn't left the house of God and the security of God. They wish they could be back with them losers going to church twice a week and praying twice a week. (laughs) But they don't know the way back. Hello. So let me just caution you not to entertain any foolishness that will wreak havoc on your, your security, your spiritual security. Because many people seek many things We can seek fame, we can seek all of those things, but the Bible tells us what to seek. The kingdom comes first. It says, seek the kingdom of God first. And get right before God, and he will add that crappy little stuff that you think is so important to your life. He'll let you have it. But you've got to seek the kingdom first. The hope is that if you do seek the kingdom, once you get there, you'll want to stay there and and you'll repent of all the other stuff you thought was more important than God. More important than your prayer life and more important than keeping a, a consistent watch in the earth so that God has permission to do things down here and to help people. So there's no greater call on the earth than to be a servant of God. And once you find God and decide to serve him, then you must conform to his will for your life, and you have to fulfill what he's called you to do. So in this ministry, we believe that everybody here that's called to this place 
is called to be a watchman. Now, I don't care if you don't know anything about that ministry. You always find out after you obey God. Isn't that the way faith works? You ask for more, and he had a call for you. He had a job for you to do. See, we think when we get more, we don't know what we're asking for. We just know we don't like where we are. And we're in church, and we believe God is the answer. And the answer has to do with something spiritual. But when you ask for more, that generally means you're asking for a a step into the realm of God, into service. Many people get tired of just going to church day after day, year after year, and never have any more fruit than, you know, I've parked in that spot for so many years, or I sat in that pew for so many years, and that's your fruit, you know, for all those years. So the human heart cries out for a greater importance to God. And you can have no greater importance than to bow before him and worship him in service. And to give your life over as a living sacrifice to him. That's the greatest call that you will ever have. So if you're called to this place, you're called as a watchman. And see, many times we get this church mentality like we can go and come and go and come and go and come and go and come. Well, you know how people are. They come for a season, and when it doesn't suit them or they don't get what they want immediately, they're ready to move on. When the truth is, you don't really know what you want. So many people don't stay put long enough to find out what it is that their heart is crying out for. And so when you find what your heart's crying out for, you'll find that you become satisfied in the place where that cry is answered. And you become content in the place where that cry is answered. And so you finally understand who you are and what your place is in God's kingdom, and you understand that there is work to do for the master. You understand that it is the one driving and compelling desire in your heart is to work for God. And so it's out of that understanding, the work for God, that this type of ministry is born. When I, when I first took up this ministry, I, I had asked God for months what I could do for him to repay him for all that he had done for me. And I think sometimes calls are developed like that. First of all, there has to be something in your heart that understands that you have to work for God. There's got to be something in there or you wouldn't express that desire. It wasn't like I thought that up, I want to do something for God. It was in me, there was a knowing in me that there was something, something I was compelled in a certain way to just work for him. And everything else really didn't matter anymore. And so if that's in your heart, at some point it will get expressed. And it's that expression on the outside that God grabs and uses to do what he does in your life. So if anybody has ever said that, I want more. I want to work for God. I want to be somebody in God's kingdom. I know there's more to me than what I see here in my life right now. If anybody's ever had that, it's because that cry was already in your heart. So what you're doing is you're reverberating the call that you hear on the inside of you 
and you're expressing it on the outside. And so many times people feel this longing to to just do more. I just got, I just know there's more. I just want to do more. That kind of a longing on the inside of you is oftentimes an expression that your spirit knows that your spirit is called to do something for God. And so when you begin to express that, then God has permission then to come in and begin to fulfill the call because you have put your faith with his call that's in you and you have given him permission now to start to direct your life. Another way that you are called is that you get positioned in a work for God. And you do it consistently. Sometimes it can feel almost like a normal routine to you. And what that means is that unknowingly you have accepted a call that God has given you. You just began to work in it. Somebody handed you prayers and say, here, pray these prayers. And you come back and do it over and over and over again. See, you've accepted the call, even though you didn't express it maybe on the inside of you. Or you didn't ask God to give you work to do. But you undertook the work. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, even on earth. It's 100% in God's kingdom. Once you start doing something for God and you demonstrate ability to do it, grace to do it, that's an empowerment from God that you have embraced, and he's got you that way. See, many people would not sign up to work for God if they knew what it really meant. So that's why he has different ways of our spirit crying out and expressing and getting in with it and all that kind of stuff. And so he has ways to get us to accept the call other than just telling us what we're called to do and getting us all worked up and trying to decide if we want to do it. He's smarter than that. So many of us are here. We don't know why we just knew God told us to come here. We just kept coming. Huh? And I'm not sure if I'm really supposed to be here or not, but I keep coming. Huh? Until one day it dawns on you that you have every opportunity not to come, you come anyway. So you must be being obedient to the Holy Spirit some kind of way, or he wouldn't help you to get here. And so God has many ways of showing us what our call is. One of the things that he told me about the importance of the watchman was that there were many moves of God that have been started in the earth, but they never come to their full potential because the enemy finds a way to shut them down. And he said the watchman was always the first line of defense for the kingdom of God. When a city was built, when people (coughs) under the Old Testament law and in Old Testament times, decided to build a city, the first cornerstone that was put in was a cornerstone at the corner of the building where the watchtower was set up. So the watchman was set there first principally so that he would be able to keep a guard over what they were building so it wouldn't be destroyed as they built. You'll see many times... People who are are in, I would say, in the flow of prosperity, oftentimes the enemy will come in and start to try and tear down what they're building. You'll see a couple has been married for years of marriage, maybe in the tens or the teens. 
And the husband will start to get a little better job or the wife will have the kids out of her hair and she can go and work and they start to put their money together for their dream house. And at the prime time, the devil comes in and starts to confuse things and distract them and to tear down what they are building. So that's why we're in, when we're in building process, God sets up a watch over what he is building and he is able to protect the building process Till it's completed, the people can enjoy the city, they can enjoy life there, and they can be content. But the watchman never relaxes, does he? He stays in the tower even after the city's built, after the people are living there and content, he is still on his watch. And that's why some of you have been here more than 20 years. Some of you less than that, but you keep coming, don't you? Huh? Because you got you got to punch in, you got to show up for work. And if you don't show up for work, you suffer the consequences. Huh? After a while, you don't feel quite right. You feel well, something's missing. I don't know what it is. And you're like David after you get back in the flow. You say, "I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord.' I didn't need a vacation like I thought I did." Didn't need time to myself like I thought I did. And so you realize that this call is a real call. There is a reality to it spiritually. There is a commitment to it spiritually. And you're not doing God a favor by being here. You know, if we can get that out of our minds that we're doing something extraordinary and we're helping God in a unique way. You're really doing only what's required. And some of us know that we could do a lot more, couldn't we? We manage the time better. We could do a lot more. And so we have then, on one hand, the grace of God and the call of God to do a specific job. And on the other hand, there's this, this something inside of us that wants to resist it all the time. And so we have to fight the good fight of faith and overcome and understand that there is something that we do that we don't understand all of it really but we know that as we do it there's a certain level of peace and contentment and joy and happiness that comes into our lives there's a place in our lives that we know is secure in God we don't have wonderings wonder what I'm supposed to be doing Am I in the right church? Am I in the wrong place? And what am I? You know, we don't have that. When you're doing what God's called you to do, you don't have all those questions anymore. The questions are answered. And you're content. Problem with most people is to quit questioning. You'd be more peaceful if you quit questioning it so much. And just learn how to go with the flow. But, you know, Barb, I'm not married yet. And I've got to get my career on track well you're going to do all that honey you're going to do all of that but you're going to fulfill the call of God too in fact you're going to do the call of God first and let him add that stuff Hmm? he calls everything else things everything besides the kingdom is things to him it's things And what he really means is it's carnal things. They're not really spiritual things that compete with the call of God on our lives. 
It's all carnality. It's always your flesh crying out for, well, I don't want to be the old, I don't want to be too old and trying to find a husband. Well, you won't be. Honey, get you a young one. That's what I say. If you think you're too old, <laughs> well, I should say that again. Everybody woke up. just said if they thought they too old to get married get a young husband well, you don't want to get nobody up in there slower than you are huh? <laughs> get and get one with a six pack and not a keg okay <clears throat> I want my stuff <laughs> that's okay to want that if you're married to it that's cool hey, more power to you <laughs> pray for what you want not for what you hey if you don't want the dog don't call the cat tell you because the cat will come in if you call him huh if you know you want an eye candy kind of people just ask God for what you want Huh? Don't get stuck in nowhere land just trying to be spiritual. Nothing spiritual about lying. All right, girls, break it up back there. And Joshua, you come out from behind there. What you ain't old enough to be back there? Yeah, he back there. <laughs> come on out of there with them queens. Yeah. Your mind will be warm forever. Get on up here with these young people. He back there with all, yeah, 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 yeah. Think he's learning something. You come up here where you can survive, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else is back there. <laughs> but that's what God calls things. Huh? That's things. Anything that will compete with your time. Versus the kingdom is a thing. God said he'll put that in the add to column. So he will add that to it. I think sometimes we don't have things quickly enough because we keep minding them instead of minding God's business. Huh? See, you give it to him and you say, you, God, give me this. You give it to him in prayer. And you go back and think about it all the time and get depressed about it because you don't have it. And I'm getting older and take it back. So you got to put the kingdom in there first. Seek the kingdom first. You know, and the next brother you give a tract to, you know, in a year or so, he just scrubbed himself up, got in church and proper. <laughs> it works like that. So that's what we have to do in respecting the call of God on our lives. You can't let anything compete or interfere with that. When God gives you a time for a watch, a time of prayer with your prayer partner, the Holy Spirit is saying, I am going to meet with you and the person you're praying with at that time. Don't stand me up and don't make me wait. You don't like waiting either. 
So that's why you don't, oh, uh, you know, uh, I got something on the stove. Can I call you back in? And you know all you're doing is watching the same episode of Root. In fact, my suggestion is this. Just don't have a TV on when it's time for prayer. Give yourself some space. Uh, make yourself disconnect from the world so that you can keep your watch. Because the Holy Spirit expects us to keep our appointments with God. So these watches must be kept. The other thing the Lord told me is that he needed to have a people who would study war. Many of you have heard me say that many times. But war is something that has to be studied if you're going to get victory in every battle. So you have to study war. Not demons, but war. Okay? You know, some people just see devils all the time and they study devils. Nobody told you to study devils. They told you to study war. Huh? So part of that is studying the weapons that you have at your disposal. Weapons that you have are the word of God. That's your biggest weapon. You've got to hide it in your heart. Huh? Just like you would a, a gun you don't want to have. It's a concealed weapon. <laughs> uh, everybody got a CCW license for the word of God. So you hide it in your heart so that you won't sin against God. And so that when you need power, it's right there for you. You can pull it out and use it the way it needs to be used. So you can pray the word. You can speak the word. You can meditate and study the word and you can get understanding of the word. This is all part of what you do as watchmen. This is how you study war. You look at a situation... And does a scripture come to your mind or do you just look at it and wonder if it will ever get better? Or do you look at it and criticize the person who's in trouble because they don't live right? Uh, what did you do 15 minutes ago? Mr. and Mrs. Right living? Hmm? See, the only difference between us and the person in trouble is ours ain't caught up with us yet. And it ain't caught up with us like that. Huh? Yours might have caught up with you, but nobody knows it. Huh? Theirs is exposed. So we don't criticize people when, when they're in trouble. We have compassion on the ignorant and the weak. Because that used to be us, for we got so tough in God. Huh? And so when you're called as watchmen... You are called to keep a watch over the souls of men under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So then God will tell you how to pray, when to pray, and what to pray. He'll tell you all those things. Because in the realm of prayer, when you meet with him to keep a watch for him, he has already outlined your area of authority and responsibility. So, me, myself, I get offended if they talk about bringing gambling to Ohio. You understand what I'm saying? And I feel like it's my business to stop it. Huh? It's my business to stop it. Why? 
Because that's what I'm called to do. If I don't stop it, who will? I don't know anybody else really that will. I know a lot of people say they pray. Huh? A lot of people say everything. You know, some people say that they're prophets and (laughs) kings of this and kings of that. But they die like everybody else. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you are called as a watchman, then you have a specific area that God's given you to pray over. And when something happens, you're like, what? My house? Huh? You are personally offended. Sorry, did I hurt you? Sorry about that. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> no, <laughs> it didn't hurt. It's going to do. No. Um, but you know what? You, you, you take it like personally. But on a responsibility level, not a I'm upset and I want to talk about it for days level. See, I've worked with people that say they pray and that's as far as they get. Talking about how bad things are and this is wrong and that's wrong and all this stuff is wrong. And they never come up with a solution in God for how to deal with it. And so as watchmen, we have weapons of warfare. We have the word of God. Hide it in your heart. So that you will know what to do when the enemy strikes and tries to take something that God's given you permission to watch over. And he's given you responsibility to watch over it. And so as watchmen, we understand when certain things go on, we must give a response in the spirit. You must give a response when things don't go according to the word. There is a response in the spirit. That must be given to address this area. So I'm going to read a little bit from the prayer manual. I thought I would uh, go over the media prayer today with you. And I I felt like during this time in the afternoons I would just, just share with you some things from our prayers and from the prayer manual. So that we can get a better understanding of why we pray the way we do. How these prayers are effective. And hopefully be more consistent in our watch and our desire to pray and, and to be responsible, to give a response and, and that written response in the manual that God's given us to, <clears throat> to give. So we have a prayer for the media. And I think probably this will be one of the single most important areas of prayer that we will ever pray in our lifetime, in my generation, the generation under me, and forever. Because there is so much authority and so much power that is given to words in the realm of the earth. See, really, we are not in a natural warfare. We're in a war of words. The war in the spirit is always a war of words. It is not a natural war. There's nothing natural to hit. There are spiritual forces that have to be subdued, but they are subdued with a command that comes to tell them what to do. You understand? That's what authority means. It means you tell them what to do, and they don't just do what they want to do. Why? Because you are under command of God to bring righteousness into every situation. The end result of all of our prayers is righteousness that is felt on some level to some individual. Righteousness being an end of oppression, an end of sickness, a healing, 
an end of division and strife. It will bring an end to things that disrupt the harmony and the liberty of people's lives. So whenever we see oppression, we see people in bondage, we see their liberty being pulled at and not given to them. We see that these are people that God created to live free and they're not free. Then we have the right by God to go in and begin to give commands and speak words that will bring about their liberation and their freedom. And you don't have to ask my permission to do it. You don't have to ask another person's permission to do it. You just have to know that there is an unction and a cry in the spirit to call for what's needed to bring righteousness into that situation. And so one of the areas that has a lot of power as far as words are concerned is the media because they control the airwaves, they control the outlets for information and for words. So whenever words are prevalent, the people of God need to see that as potential enemy territory and they need to go in and begin to speak and declare God's righteousness. What would God have said in this situation that's not being said? What would God not want said in this situation that is being said? And so this is how we make our judgment about whether it's good or it's evil. If it's bringing oppression to people, if it's bringing discord to people, if it's bringing death, destruction, any of those demonic forces, then we have to speak up and declare words that will bring righteousness into the situation. So our prayer for the media and the comment that I had on it in the prayer manual, it says Ephesians 2.2 describes the prince of the power of the air as being the influence behind disobedience and the works of the flesh. This power rules in the heavenlies, that means a second heaven, which is a seat of demonic authority, and it covers the whole earth. So it appears to me to be something like this. When God first created the heavens and the earth, everybody was on his side. You understand what I'm saying? When he made creation, everybody, everything was on his side. He created the heavens first, of course, because that's where he lived. So he had to have an abode for himself. And there, everything was on his side until one of his servants, Lucifer, who covered the mercy seat, got the idea that he wanted to be higher than God. And this is where the iniquity came in. So once iniquity came in, the devil sought to get himself installed in a place of authority because as soon as he, they found iniquity in him, he fell from heaven down to earth. We know that. And he was set here to wander around the earth with no estate or no nothing to rule over. So as he sought for something to rule over, he decided to take the man who had dominion over the earth and see if he can get man under his influence, and of course we know he did. Well, as God was in charge of everything, he had angelic powers stationed everywhere. He had angelic powers ruling in the heavenlies. He had angelic powers ruling down here on earth. Everything was on his side. Once Satan fell, he took a third of the angels of heaven with him 
And when he was able to deceive the man, these devils had the right then to occupy seats of authority in the second heaven. And that's where all the problems for us comes from. Because from there, they give orders to people down here on earth to do what they want them to do. So we know that if we, if we start out, if you start out wanting to do the right thing, pretty soon you're going to be challenged in your mind with a thought to do something other than the right thing. It's because the prince of the power of the air has demons that he dispatches to speak down here on earth. And so we have a war with our words. We have a struggle. Do we obey God or do we just do we think we're doing what we want to do? You know, something that we want to relax ourselves or we're tired of this old grind or we want to do something different or I'm bored with this or I'm bored with that. Oftentimes those are suggestions that comes to us from the prince of the power of the air. And he dispatches demons to whisper words to us. So that we will begin to believe that influence and we will leave our place of peace and contentment with God and go off seeking something else. It happens all the time. And that's how the, the, the world is influenced by these words. Because when, when Satan caused man to obey him instead of God, he got legal right to get up in every seat of authority on the earth and begin to speak these things down to earth to confuse the people. Huh? That's why the Bible says that Satan has a way through deception of magnifying the importance of his voice. Do you hear what I said? Deception magnifies the importance of his voice. Now the Bible also says at the end of the world when people see what Satan really looks like, They'll say, is that the thing that caused all the kings of the earth to tremble? He's probably about plankton, your little friend. (laughs) That's probably about what size he is. I think he's probably, you know what, I think he probably looks like that. This is just me. I said, I bet he's one of them little, you know, the Cupid-looking little baby with the little, yeah, the little booty booty angel. (laughs) You know, little bare-bottom little, with the little, that's probably what he really looks like. But he's had his voice on a bullhorn all of his life, magnifying it and making it put, put fear in the hearts of people that they have to obey fear in his voice rather than obey the voice, the still small voice of God. So competition-wise, which one would you listen to? You'd listen to the one that sounds like it's going to hurt you rather than the one that just says, Peace, be still. Huh? I'm your God, and I change not. See, God comes to us with that kind of peace and that kind of wisdom, and then we hear this, oh, you better not do that, because if you do that, man, you're going to be out on the streets. Huh? And so through deception, he's magnified his voice to sound more important, more powerful, and more eternal than it is. You must know that the voice of the enemy is a temporal, worldly, temporary. He speaks of temporary things only. You're not going to always be broke. You're not going to always be struggling, going to school and trying to go to church and and keep your job too. You're not going to always be there. So everything of this world is temporary anyway. 
and any threat that the enemy can make to you is about a temporary situation. It will go away. It'll go away faster if you address it with the Word of God. In fact, it'll go away immediately if you address it with the Word of God. So the second heaven is a seat of demonic authority that covers the whole earth and controls spiritual climates and atmospheres throughout the world. From this seat of authority rules the queen of heaven. Also rule her husbands, Ahab and Pharaoh. So we know the unholy trinity speaks into the hearts and minds of men and women to do their will. Some influencers are stronger in certain areas than other influences are. Part of the new age religion, the religion that has come about... As a response to the last move of God, of God, the charismatic move of the gospel that we just had, the New Age religion has come in response to what the charismatic movement was all about. The charismatic movement was really a movement about worshiping God in spirit and in truth and a release of believers to do the will of God through study of the word. So it was a word movement. And it was a spirit movement. And so Satan has to have a word movement and a spirit movement to counter that. So they have come up, religious people now have come up with what we call new age religion. That includes everything from environmental concerns, animal rights concerns, yoga, meditation, reincarnation. So it mixes in a hodgepodge of every type of religion and every type of cult thinking and cult activity that can be. So nothing's, in other words, nothing's out of bounds here. We will include everybody. So it's a very liberal religion. We'll let you chant and have Buddha, and that's okay because all paths lead to Hell, actually, but they they say to God, they don't say heaven, because if, if they ever commit themselves to saying all paths lead to heaven, we could refute that in a minute. So, no, no, Jesus is the way. If you want to go to heaven, that's where Jesus lives. That's his address, H-E-A-V-E-N. And he already gave instructions for how to go there. So what they say is all paths lead to God. And some people are very spiritual. Oh, they have a lot of spirituality. So this New Age religion then is promoted by the prince of the power of the air. Because Satan will let you worship any god as long as he's dead. The minute you tap him and he moves or he speaks, then Satan doesn't want you near him. He'll try to discredit that god because he's alive. Any living God can do something for you and do something toward the devil too. That's why Satan hates Jesus, because he's the only God that is alive. Man, that's why he'll let you have Buddha. Listen, they're New Age people. They serve Buddha and they serve Vishnu and everybody else. They don't care. Bring him on in here. But the minute you mention Jesus, everybody trembles. Everybody wants to hit the road. Cell phones go off. Everything happens. Huh? 
Because he don't want you hearing about him because Jesus is alive and he can do something about the devil. And he can do something for us too. So the devil does not want you serving the living God. So it's apparent that the air, atmosphere, and airwaves are controlled by this evil prince also. Since there is so much ungodliness and disobedience to the will of God promoted in mass media. In fact, it's gotten so bad now that if you want to mention Christianity or mention Jesus, you get sued because you're offending somebody. Hmm? Now, the thing that I like about certain Christians is they don't care. They'll sue back. Huh? See, what the devil hopes is that he can be the only one using certain weapons and make you feel bad for trying to use them. Well, what kind of Christian are you taking people to court? You should just pray and your prayers ought to be enough. No, I think I'm going to go get me an earth lawyer. And let God tell him what to say. Huh? And sue you for everything that I can. One of the problems, though, with, with that type of control over the media and so forth is that the rules have become so relaxed as far as what people can say about other people. Because right now they're committing slander, libel, and all those things that you used to be able to get sued for, they do that with no, no punishment, no repercussions, no anything. And really, by the time you get ready to go sue somebody, the words have already done their damage. So there's no integrity oftentimes in this arena. They'll speak any kind of words they need to speak about you to discredit you and stop you from doing the will of God. So you have to realize that when you begin to tackle this kind of seat of authority, you may be in for a long struggle. So just pull up a chair. Put your feet up on the ottoman and go about it on a routine, regular basis, just telling the devil, shut up, I bind you, shut up, don't say no more about this person, shut up, I want you off TV, shut up. See, the nice thing about internet media, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit, is that there are certain types of, of prayers that people have prayed over the years. One of the things that we began to pray about with a media prayer was that we wanted God to begin to regulate television, begin to regulate radio, and begin to regulate and put a stop to certain voices that were condemning toward God You know, all this blasphemy that goes on talking about, well, Jesus had children and Jesus was married or Jesus had sex with somebody. All this kind of nonsense. That needs to stop, okay, because that's beyond stupid. So there's certain things that just don't need to be said. Because you've got a generation of young people who will come up and believe it because they hear it often. They go to sleep on the word of God, but they perk up when they get on the Internet. See? And so we have to understand that there is a fight and a word to counter everything that goes on there. And so when people began to start these, uh, what they call blogs, where you could go on there and chat about things, one of the things that, that has happened with mainstream, what we call mainstream media, and that's large urban newspapers like 
Miami Herald, New York Times, Washington Post, um, what was it in L.A., something like USA Today. They're all in financial trouble. You know why that is? Because they cease speaking the truth and they try to influence people's lifestyle and they're the main ones that push God out of everything. So one of the ways that God disables the, the enemy is to bankrupt him. To take all his money away from him. When you speak poverty on the works of certain things and you curse their works, you take the money base out from under them. So now they're all struggling. New York Times, they're moving furniture around trying to rent out that big building that they have in Manhattan. While they're pushing for increases in taxes, well, they got to pay them too. You understand what I'm saying? So they begin to work their own demise, and God just lets them do it. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You understand what I'm saying? And so when God sees that these people will not be people of integrity, that they control people's minds and influence them to ungodly lifestyle, he knows how to put a stop to it. And so now these bloggers are the ones who get all the hot news the fresh news, and the new news. So now people can get news for free. You don't have to pay money for a newspaper, and you don't have to pay for an Internet subscription because some kid that's got a nosy neighbor with a cell phone camera can put more people on there to find, to make more hits. These bloggers get more people to read their stuff than the Times does now. Huh? Because of, of the pull that God has to pull authority out from under people who aren't being responsible with it. If they would do responsible reporting and responsible journalism, they'd still be here. But when they start promoting ungodly lifestyles, fornication, adultery, and saying it's okay, and if you don't get an abortion, there's something wrong with you. And especially when they make fun of God's people. Huh? He said he would fight with people who fight against us, but he will also bless people that bless us. So it won't surprise me any if one day we look up and the only newspapers you can buy are Christian newspapers. See, if Christians are smart, they will study these things and study these trends and figure out how to tap into it. So that they can say, we print the truth, not the news. Huh? Because people want truth. They don't want any slanted nonsense. That's why the, the really slanted people can't get anybody to watch their TV. They can't get anybody to buy their newspapers. And these things are folding up left and right. The way they found out Michael Jackson had been taken to the hospital was on somebody's blog on the internet. All the major, none of the major newspapers knew anything about it. So God's already diverted the channel of information underneath these people. So all they know about is what they think they want to push, which is their little stupid agenda. Whereas the real news is being disseminated by people they can't control, they don't know anything about, and they'll never be able to control them again. So they'll never get their power back again. And so when God does something, folks, he will come up with an idea that's totally his. Not something that we, the way we think it's going to go, that's never going to happen that way. 
But you'll be, if you'll try and understand what's going on and get God's perspective on it, then you'll be able to see the effects of your prayers. So I would say that the media prayer and praying about the media and the internet and the news and all those things probably will be the single most crucial area of prayer for us in the coming years. Simply because when you control that, you control the thoughts and the hearts of people. See, when you control their thoughts, you control their hearts. Because if people believe what they hear, then they'll be converted over. And see, it's a good time for Christians to begin to produce news, truth, truth that coincides with God's word. So that people can know what the truth is and we can just respect the truth. Because that's what we want. We want truth and we want things that are going to work. And so God is going to see to it that righteousness prevails in all of these areas. But if you can control information, you can control people's minds. So the media bias against Christianity is something that Christians must war against. We need to pray also that the door be open for more Christian and family programming and the preaching of the gospel. Hmm? The spirit of mammon also attacks persons who use the mass media as a forum for sending forth their messages, and especially Christians. So that's why you need to pray for Christians who preach the gospel to find creative ways to raise money, huh? not go into the red so much, and to stay on the air. God will find a way for them to do that. Greed for money can cause those using the airwaves to see theirs as opportunities for financial gain primarily. So ministries that go on TV just to raise money, that's what you want to pray against. And you want to pray for people who are bringing the truth of God's word to help humanity. See, many times people would not commit suicide if they knew that there was a God out there that loved them. And he could just talk to them on the airwaves. He could send a word to them. And so we need to pray for people of integrity, Christian people of integrity to be there. Sometimes well-meaning ministers get under pressure to pay their bills on the air and they can start pushing just to promote themselves for the sake of financial gain. So we have to pray that those people have peace that God will keep them on the air. And when the money dries up, they just go off the air and trust God for something else. You know what I'm saying? Their, their season may be over. So there are some people who are very, very gifted at raising money to stay on the air. And there are some who just do it for a season, and then their season is over. So we need to pray for wisdom for people who are on the airwaves to know what their time is and what their season is. <clears throat> Pray for a good report about this country to be released through the media and through the mouths of people using the airwaves. You know, media people tend to run hot and cold. If it's somebody who will tolerate a bunch of nonsense, then there's a good report about them. But if it's somebody who's a godly person, there's an evil report released about them. And they're all working for the same government. And it makes the government look unstable And it makes us look like we don't know what we're doing when we have so much opposite swinging this way and so much swinging the other way. And so people need to get into the flow of just reporting the truth, reporting facts, and let people decide and make up their minds for themselves. 
And so I think a lot of times on the internet, people have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to decide for yourself what you believe about what's being said and what you think about what's being said. And if you don't, if it doesn't line up in your mind and your spirit with what you think God's word says, you can throw it out and judge it for what it really is. And that is pretty worthless. So I'm going to go over some, some points in this media prayer and talk about why we address this this way and what we're talking about. So the first part is to bind and take authority over the prince of the power of the air. So he is the main, main strong man who rules over information on the earth. And that is, and, and that is he controls all of the voices of darkness on the earth. So you'll find voices of darkness in all kinds of areas. Voices of darkness are in, in religion. Voices of darkness are in politics. They're in entertainment. They're in comedy. They're in cartoons and children's programming. They're voices of darkness in all areas of life. Certainly there are voices of darkness in our institutions, in hospitals, colleges, and universities, and in the workplace. So when you bind the prince of the power of the air, then you forbid him for a season to speak what he wants to speak. And you can render his words ineffective in the ears of the hearers. Because God can put a spirit and wisdom on a person where they're able to discern what's true and what's not true. So that the people will be able to decide if that's truth that's being told them or if that's a lie or if it's going to lead to something good or if it's not going to lead to anything good. So you hit the strong man first. And then the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit that works against Christianity and it works against Judaism. You'll find it in radical Islam. You'll find it in some Christian religions where they don't believe in the full gospel or they'll fight against the things of God, especially if they get under conviction. So this spirit kind of permeates every area of life as well. So it's any spirit that will fight the word of God and fight the truth of God's word and the power of God's word. Spirit of Antichrist is that demon that, you know, if you're talking to somebody and you want to tell them about the Lord and you get into a little chit-chat first. And then you begin to, to engage them and talk about God, you know, and about the gospel. And the cell phone rings. It's the spirit of Antichrist that loose that distraction so that he can steal that soul away from you. You may go to somebody's house and, and begin to witness to him. You talk to him and all of a sudden the baby in the back, you didn't even know it was a baby in the house. He woke up and started crying. All of, oh, oh, you got to excuse me. I got to go take care of the baby. The spirit of Antichrist. Huh? Sends demons to harass him, wake him up. Listen. The devil don't care nothing about slapping your baby and waking him up. Are you crazy? Huh? He'll slap you and wake you up too. Well, he'll slap a baby, put sickness on a baby, he'll do anything to him. 
If he can take somebody to hell with him, no price is too great for him to pay in order to do that. We pray for the love of God to be displayed in programming because there's so, so, such hatred on television. There's such loose morality. And we're talking about the true love of God that appreciates humanity that's created in God's image and wants the best for all human beings. That lifts people up and doesn't degrade them. Anytime you see people being degraded, I don't care if people do think they're at a comedy club or whatever, or a comedy program. When you see humanity degraded, that is not the love of God. She need to get rid of it because pretty soon it's going to start destroying people. People will start to believe what they hear about themselves that's not right, that's supposed to be a joke. We've all been victims of that. How many times have people kind of made fun of you and you, they thought it was funny and maybe you thought it was funny for a minute and then after a while you thought about it? Huh? Amen. <clears throat> That's not the love of God. That's why the, the word cautions us against foolish jesting. Huh? Too much making fun all the time. Some people don't know how to do anything but that. We pray against liberalism, lust, and pornography. Liberalism is probably, right now, the biggest enemy of God's people. Because they want to make it try and imitate the love of God. Because God loves everybody. But his goal in loving you is to get you into holiness and righteousness and not tolerate your sin. God does not tolerate sin at all. So liberalism is, is, is promoting a kind of false love that leaves you in your sin. It tells you it's okay to be in your sin. And the people who are trying to get you to repent and change, they are the bad people. So they build Christians to be the villains because we don't tolerate sin. We don't tolerate it in ourselves. Huh? I mean, if you got some friends that say, well, you just say, honey, I don't do that myself. And this is why I can tell you it is wrong. (laughs) Because I I used to do that. But I found God, and he told me to quit, and he helped me to quit. And I'm all the better for it now. Amen? And so you don't have to fear people who call you uh, a hater. And you ought to love people and God love. God's all about love. Well, yeah, he is. But he ain't tolerant and he ain't liberal. I know that much. Because not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven is going to make it there. It's only going to be people who come the right way. So I'm just trying to tell you the right way. Well, how can you be sure? I am so definitely sure you won't believe it. I'm sure because God's made me sure, and he can make you sure too. You understand what I'm saying? Don't let people back you into a corner. You know why you hope in God. You know this isn't a fairy tale. You know it's real. And you don't have to tell them, well, I felt God come on me. He don't have to come on nobody for you to know for a certainty that you're going to heaven. huh? No, God assures me every day. Every day that I walk with him and talk with him, he assures me more and more 
that I am going to heaven. And he can do the same thing for you. You can be just as sure, even more so. Amen. So we take authority over lust and pornography that invades the airwaves. It doesn't need to be on television. There was a season where it wasn't on there and everybody was happy. Huh? We can go right back to them times and everybody would be happy again. If you wanted pornography, you went to a store and bought that stuff. Or you went out to a video store and went in the dark, dark corner and got it. You know, some shady place. And got your pono. Now all you got to do is call a phone number and order it out somewhere. You know? So... So you want to bind the influence of the peace movement, that holdover from the 60s. Almost has killed our, our, our uh, attempts in the Middle East to liberate people. Uh, you ha- can't have peace unless it's a season for peace. You know, people ought to read their Bibles. There's a time for war and a time for peace. There's not a time for peace all the time. I hate to tell people, well, Miss America, oh, Miss so-and-so, Miss California, you want to be Miss America. Can you tell me what your, your Miss America crusade is? Well, I'm going to crusade for world peace. Well, more power to you. Hmm? More power to you. She ain't going to crusade for world peace. She's just scared to say anything else. See, that's always a safe something to say. To make you sound deep. What they need to ask her is, do you have a plan? Really? What's your plan? Well, uh, you know, back in the 60s, all the potheads would stick a flower in the, in the, the end of the gun. You see the National Guard standing there trying to stave off a riot, and they put a flower in the stem of a gun. Because they were high. Not because they believed in no world peace. They did it because they were high. And those same people don't believe in anything right now. huh? They never made a commitment to believe in anything. And they won't give their lives for anything and they won't speak up for anything except letting people do what they want to do. With no rules and regulations. And that's not peace. That's what's called anarchy and chaos. See, God is a God of order. He's got rules, folks. His rules are so strong, that's why they keep trying to burn them off. You know, the, the, remember the guy down there who kept putting the judge, who kept putting the Ten Commandments back on the lawn of the state house? Every time they tell him to take them off, they take them off, he put them right back on there. They finally fired him. He said, I don't care, I'm putting them back there anyway. Huh? demonstrating that you can't get rid of God's law. Now, it may not be written anywhere where we can see it. If we didn't have it written anywhere, he could still speak it to people. So you can't. What you going to do? You going to go up in heaven and throw God out of there? Are you that mad at him? Huh? So we can't get rid of God's word. We can't get rid of God. So the only thing you can do as a human being is try to make sure your life lines up with God so that you can please him so that you can go to heaven. 
You know, people say, I know I'm going to heaven. Oh, really? Do you serve God now? What do you mean? You born again? Well, I don't really think you. Oh, yeah, you do. You have to be born again to see God and see his kingdom. And let me ask you this anyway. Why would you want to go and live eternally with somebody that you don't like down here? Now, for you, the ultimate punishment would be to go to heaven. Because you don't like God down here. How do you think you don't like him up there? And you've got to live with him forever. People don't have the sense they was born with. You know, don't let these sinners intimidate you with their stupidity. Because there is a word in wisdom that God will give you that will confound all their little questions. Their questions are thought up by Satan that he didn't have enough sense to stay in heaven once he was up there. And they're trying to confound somebody who's got the spirit of God in them. Give me a break. Huh? Don't be intimidated by this nonsense. Even if you open up your mouth and say, yabba dabba do, ask God to anoint it. They'll put a conviction on them. Last, the last principle in this <laughs> is we break the power of the fourth estate. And so people have asked me over the years what that really means. And so I'll read you uh, some stuff I got from an online encyclopedia. (laughs) But the fourth estate really refers to the press and the media. Traditionally, it's always referred to the press and the media. So I'll give you a little historical. It says the fourth estate is a term referring to the press. The term goes back at least to Thomas Carlyle in the first half of the 19th century. Thomas Macaulay used it in 1828. Novelist Geoffrey Archer in his work, The Fourth Estate, made this observation. In May 1789, Louis XVI summoned to Versailles a full meeting of the Estates General. The first estate consisted of 300 clergymen. Now, this will give you an idea of why the media people hate Christians. The first estate was what? The clergy. At that time, Christians. It was either Catholics or Protestants, depending upon what religion the king was. But this was after the Protestant Reformation. So the Christian or the clergy has always had a higher place even on the earth than the press. So the press is always trying to get more power and more influence than the Pope, if you want to put it that way. Huh? Than any, any religious leader. More power than Billy Graham. More power than T.D. Jakes. Anybody that has a mass media influence. The press is always trying to usurp authority over the estate that's higher than itself. So he says the first estate was the clergy. Second estate was the nobles. 300, 300 clergy, 300 nobles. The third estate was 600 commoners. Some years later, after the French Revolution, Edmund Burke, looking up at the press gallery of the House of Commons, said... And there sits the fourth estate, and they are more important than them all. 
So you see the fourth estate that consists of people in journalism who have newspaper rights, who disseminate information, as far as the earth system is concerned, is always in a lower position than all of the others. And this is what makes them angry. Because they're always jockeying for control over things. See, when you have a lower position than somebody else, you're always trying to get up into a higher position. The nobility, the people who had land that was handed down family after family after family, had to obey the clergy. Because the clergy had the higher position than they did. So everybody really was answerable to the clergy or answerable to God as represented by the people that serve God. That's always been true about the earth. But the fourth estate has always grumbled and clawed to get a higher position. And so this is why you have such venom spewed out of the media against clergy people. They're always trying to discredit people of God. They're always trying to to discredit ministers and servants of God. Why? Because they want the power that they have. They have a higher place than the the newspaper and journalism and all those people have. And that's why the fourth estate is always clamoring for freedom of the press so that they won't get oppressed by the other higher authorities on the earth. So it's thought that these four estates actually hold spiritual power in the second heaven. So they have been assigned a realm of spiritual power in the second heaven with the fourth estate always trying to control the ones up over it. So you'll see in the fourth estate rich people are torn down and they're spread lies about them and and famous people are hounded, pictures taken of them doing one thing or another to try and pull them down from a lofty position so that the fourth estate can rule. So in Satan's kingdom, he has all these different factions fighting against each other, and he likes it that way. Because he's put them there to put confusion and to put strife and put stress on the minds of human beings and on the minds of humanity. Okay, I'm going to read you the rest of this. It says, the earliest use of the term fourth estate to mean the press is found in Thomas Carlyle's book on heroes and hero worship, 1841, in which he wrote, British politician Edmund Burke said, There were three estates in Parliament, but in the reporter's gallery yonder there sat a fourth estate more important far than all of the others put together. Because of what they control. They control the dissemination of information. They control the printed word. They control your textbooks. They control everything that's put out there to give you information. They control everything. If indeed Burke did make the statement Carlyle attributes to him, his remark may have, been <clears throat> may have been in the back of Carlyle's mind when he wrote his book, The French Revolution, 1837. A fourth estate of able editors springs up. In this context, the other three estates are those of the French estates general, the church, the nobility, and the commoners. Author Oscar Wilde wrote this. In old days, men had the rack. Y'all remember the rack during the Middle Ages? They would stretch somebody on it until they confessed something. He said, now they have the press. 
which is certainly an improvement over the rack, but still it is very bad and wrong and demoralizing. Can you imagine somebody wrote that more than 150 years ago? He said, somebody, was it Burke, called journalism the fourth estate. That was true at this time, no doubt, but at the present moment, it is only one estate. So he's saying that journalism controlled everything by that time. It is eaten up by the other three. The Lord's temporal say nothing. The Lord's spiritual have nothing to say. In other words, the church is silent, and so are the people in authority in the earth. And the House of Commons has nothing to say and says it. <laughs> we are dominated by journalism. Burke, as author of Reflections on the Revolution in France, could have had in mind precisely these three estates or the three referred to by Henry Fielding in the quotation below. The term fourth estate has less frequently referred to the proletariat or the middle class in opposition to the three recognized estates of the ancient French regime. An early citation for this use earlier than that one that now prevails is Henry Fielding in the Covent Garden in 1752. Now, they barely had printing presses at that time. But the minute they started to be able to print papers and pamphlets, journalism had taken over control because they, they control information. He said, none of our political writers takes notice any more than these three estates, namely kings, lord, and commons, passing by in silence that very large and powerful body which formed the fourth estate in this community, quote, the mob. So it says here that the, the, the fourth estate or the press, journalism, whatever you want to call it, happens to form a mob that claws against the powers of the earth so that the powers of the earth cannot really exist and function because of their constant manipulation and constant words against it. The nobility says nothing, the clergy says nothing, and they allow this mob to rule, except we're going to pray against it. Amen. We have authority to stop because the clergy can say something. The first estate can speak. So as members of the first estate, we have the authority to put the fourth in its rightful position under our feet. Amen? And then we use the media to get the gospel out and get the word of God out so that God's word can prevail. Amen? Did you get something out of that?